As we prepare to hear the word of the Lord, let's again go to him in prayer. Father, we ask that you bless us with the hearing of your word today. We pray that you would make it clear to us what you have to say through Jeremiah 29 and what you have to say through your spirit right here and now. And Father, we ask that you help all of us not merely to hear, but to listen, to receive, and to respond. Father, we want a world that is made right. We want a world where all of us and all of those around us know the joy of doing your will, and yet that is not the world we live in. And so, Father, we pray that you give us the grace and wisdom we need to navigate these times and do that this morning through the hearing of your word. Amen. So before we read, I want to orient you a little bit to where we are in preaching this fall and why we're doing what we're doing. So last week, Ben Ribbons wrapped up a series on Mark 1 to 8, and I'd invite you to go back and listen to that sermon if you didn't catch it. Ben did a really good job of of giving a sense of what the gospel of Mark is all about. So we got through the first half of the book of Mark, and we're going to pick that up again in Easter. But now we're going to be reading Jeremiah 29 the next three weeks. And, and the idea of this series is to help us reflect on how, well, the classic way of saying it is, is how Christ and culture relate, how Christians relate to the world around us, how we as, we as people of faith can hold on to the right commitments, can develop the right expectations, can adopt the right postures to engage with a world that is so wonderful and yet so broken. And in in the broader discussion around this, there are usually three options that people put out there. And one option is that Christians assimilate into culture. We we become just like the culture around us. But but if we become just like the culture around us, how are we Christians? How are we living out what Christ calls us to live? Another option is to withdraw, that we separate from the culture. We push it out and, and we become our own people, totally separate from the world. But But if we do that, for one thing, we just create a different fallen culture of our own. And for another, it seems like we we miss the distinctiveness of Christ's call to go. And the third answer that, that everybody lands on, basically, is that we as Christians ought to transform culture. We should hold on to Christ and we should bring Christ to this world. But but the challenge is how to do that well. So those are the options: assimilate, withdraw, transform, that are kind of in the background of this sermon series. But the goal here really is to help us be more robust in our Christian faith and also be more robust in our engagement with the world around us. So with that, we're going to step into Jeremiah 29. We're going to read verses 1 to 9 this morning. Hear now the word of the Lord. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans, had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city 
to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you, would, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So the first step in this series, in this sermon, is that we have to recognize that we are living in exile. We are living in exile. Quite a number of years ago, when I was still in high school, I was at a family reunion, and a number of my cousins and I, we went on a hike, and and they started talking about books that we'd read recently, and it turns out that they had all read, all the cousins, and I somehow missed the memo, had all read this book called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I knew nothing about it, but they started out by saying, yeah, you know, it really, it surprised me when at the beginning of the book, they blew up the earth. I said, wait, what? At the beginning, you don't blow up the earth at the beginning of a book, you blow up the earth at the end, or you, you spend the whole earth, you spend the whole book trying not to blow up the earth, because once you blow up the earth, the story's over. And they said, no, 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 they blow up the earth at the beginning of the story, and then they get on with things. And what is there left to get on with when the earth is blown up? And the answer is, it's a goofy book, and you have to read it to get it. But basically, they explore the galaxy. Okay. But really, what do you do? What do you do when the earth blows up at the beginning of the story? And here, as we step into Jeremiah 29, the earth has blown up. Everything is different. There is no map for this. Jeremiah is writing the people who have been carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon. They have been carried off from God's own city, from God's own place on earth to this this literally promised land, and now they're in Babylon. Babylon, that terrible city. Babylon, the, the picture of the worst sinful city all throughout Scripture. And that's where God's people are, in exile in Babylon. And whether you're in Jeremiah 29 or here in America in 2023, it's disorienting. It might feel like the the world that we knew, the world that we felt safe in, the world where things made sense is just gone. And yet here we are, and the story goes on, and what do we do with that? And for the exiles here in Jeremiah, there there was perhaps an even more pressing question. There was the question, why are we in exile? Why couldn't God have prevented this? But the real question there has to do with the identity and power of the Lord. As exiles, if we are God's people and we have been carried away, does the Lord have any power anymore? Does the Lord care about us? Or is, is that whole story over? There's an NFL football commercial you may have seen the last couple of weeks with some of, the, some of the Hall of Fame guys, Dan Marino, Jerry Rice, some others, who decide they're going to get back in the game, and they, they put on their pads, and they put on their uniforms, and they get out on the field, and they try to play football. And I think Jerry Rice and Dan Marino, those are the two that jumped out to me. I think they're both in their 50s, maybe 60s. And so it doesn't go well. There's a pass that Jerry Rice should be able to jump for, and instead of jumping, he just falls over backwards. And Dan Marino is dropping back trying to throw a pass, and he gets knocked over, and it hurts so much he can't get up. And this young player runs up to him and says, hey, Dan, can I get your autograph? Thanks. And then he takes the ball and runs away, and Marino is finished. You can't go back. And for the Israelites, for the people in exile at this time, they might have wondered, is God washed up? 
I mean, he did great things. He did the whole Exodus thing, and, and behind that, there's the creation. So this, he did great things, but is he, is he fallen and he can't get up? Is that where our God is? And we don't think in quite the same way as they did in terms of gods in the Old Testament, but, but if they're in Babylon and their Lord has been unable to prevent that, does that mean the gods of Babylon are now stronger than Yahweh, than the Lord God? Is that what this means? And so is it time to, to give up and find other gods? Now, we live in Chicago, not Babylon, but there's, there's a lot of discussion out there. In one particular book I read recently called Faith for Exiles, talked about how we live in a digital, badgel, digital Babylon. We live in a world where, where, honestly, it's pretty pagan again, but it's very spiritual. And we're hyper-stimulated and we're multicultural, but at the same time, there are very clear rules that you have to follow or you get canceled. And all of us, all of us have access to this. And for many of us, this is more like a cybernetic implant than a device because it's always, always with us. And we don't know what to do without it. And it's a wonderful thing to have access to all of this information, but it's reshaping us. We get into so much trouble because we, we just absorb the world around us. And, and maybe more and more the Bible, the Lord, the church seem irrelevant and outmoded. And like maybe, maybe we can upgrade. Maybe we can do better. They were great in their time, but what about now? We are exiles in a digital Babylon. And what do we do? What do we do? And the answer Jeremiah gives us is we continue to listen to the Lord. And the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to the exiles. And the message would have been very surprising. The message is, to begin with, settle down. The Lord speaks. And what he says is settle down. Jeremiah insists, yes, Israel has been defeated. Yes, you've been carried off into exile. Yes, you are in Babylon, not Jerusalem. Yes to all that. Nonetheless, nonetheless, God is still at work. And God tells the people in exile, okay, yes, on one level, Nebuchadnezzar took you, but on the other hand, I am the one. I am the one, says the Lord, who brought you into exile. And so I am still here with you. And so God tells the people to settle down, to build houses and to settle, to plant gardens and to eat the produce. And you can build a house and live in it for not that long, but if you're going to plant a garden and eat the produce, you better plan to be there for months. And then to get married and have sons and daughters. Now we're talking years. And to have your sons and daughters get married and have sons and daughters. And now we're talking decades. The Lord's letter here through Jeremiah is is expanding the scope of how long the people should expect to be in Babylon, and he gets it longer and longer and longer. And he tells them to, to settle there, to live there, and to increase and not decrease. Now, there, there's a couple implications of this, and I think one of them looks backwards, and some of the language here in Jeremiah 29 actually echoes Genesis early Genesis, when God tells Adam and Eve to increase, to fill the earth and subdue it. So part of what the Lord is doing here is saying, yeah, okay, you're in a different location, but all the rules are still the same. We're still playing the same game. You are still called to, to follow me in your everyday regular lives. You are still called to take care of this world. You are still called to be my people. 
to plant, to eat, to marry, to have children, to have grandchildren, to, to live as my image bearers. God is calling them to, to just get on with life, even if they're in difficult and fallen circumstances. Just get on with following God, just like you would anywhere else. But there's another implication here, too. And, and this perspective, it turns people who were refugees into residents. The exiles were being told, accept where you are. Accept where you are, settle down, and live for God there. Don't put all your hope in these crazy prophecies that Babylon's going to fall apart and you're going to be back to Jerusalem in a year or two. <clears throat> Excuse me, in a couple weeks we're going to pick those prophecies up some more. But what God is saying here is, is be a resident. Live where you are. So these days, and I think always pretty much, conservative people tend to look back toward a golden age. They tend to say, let's say, 1950 was where it's at. If only we could go back to 1950 when, when everything was wonderful. And progressive people tend to look forward, and let's say to 2050. Oh, in 2050, we'll finally have, we'll finally have the technology, and we'll finally have progress, and we'll finally get to the point where things are, are great. But both the past and the future aren't really real right now. The past has happened, so it's more real than the future, but... but we aren't living there. And what God calls us to do is not to look back to some golden age or look forward to some golden age. He does to some extent, but what He really calls us to do is to live right now, wherever He has put us. You may have seen those signs around, and there's different versions of them, but they're usually kind of a square turned on its side. Drive like you live here. Drive like you live here. Drive like your children live here. And, and the message of that sign is, real people live here. Slow down. And often I hear that in kind of a grumpy tone, but, but I think sometimes it's not. It's just, you know, drive like you live here. This is a community. We got kids running around. We got pets. We got, drive like you live here. Drive, drive like you're a human, not a speed demon. And part of what the Lord is saying here through Jeremiah is, well, drive like you live here. Live like you live here. Live like you are actually part of the community of people around you. Live like, live like Elmhurst or Villa Park or Lombard or whatever town you're in. Live like that town matters. Live like it matters what happens in Chicago. Live like it matters what happens in your neighborhood and to your neighbors. Live like this life matters. God does call us to a golden age in some sense when Jesus will return and when all things will be made right. And, and he does in the Bible point back to a golden age before sin entered the world. But, but we're here and now and the Lord calls us to live fully even right now. Our eternity begins now. And so one huge call of the Lord on our lives is simply to settle down, to put down roots and to live here and now with and for the Lord. We need those roots. But then the Lord continues to speak, and the Lord speaks again, and He says, seek the shalom of the city. Seek the shalom of the city. And I, I kept that word shalom because it's almost untranslatable. You've probably heard it a bunch before, but, but it means this huge mix of peace, justice, prosperity, well-being, joy. This is huge, huge package of of things being exactly how they're supposed to be. And what the Lord is telling the exiles 
is work so that that city is as close to how it's supposed to be as possible. Work as if Babylon could be Jerusalem. And now I want you to picture being the first person who reads this letter to the exiles in Babylon, and he gets to this part, and there's been all kinds of hard things before this, and he reads, seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon. And I want you now to imagine how you would react to that. Your family has been slaughtered. You have been displaced. You have been dispossessed. You have been brought to this horrible, nasty, pagan city that you want to see burned to the ground. And now Jeremiah has the audacity to write this letter and say, seek the peace and prosperity of Babylon? You do not want to have, you do not want to have been the guy who had to read that letter in front of the rest of the exiles. There may have been things thrown at him. But that's what the Lord wants, and that's what he is calling his people to. Yes, these people who have oppressed you. Yes, your mortal enemies. Yes, the people who have literally kidnapped you and carried you away from home and kept you in exile. Those are the people whose good you are to seek. Seek the shalom, seek the peace and prosperity, the flourishing of the city where you have been brought into exile. One commentator I read this week said, this is as close as the Old Testament gets to Jesus saying, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now here's a challenge. How many of us are excited to do that right now? Probably not that many. There was a time in, uh, in grad school that I attended a conference on <clears throat> Calvin and the use of medieval philosophers in terms of theology of ascent. Wow, huh? Yeah, that's what I thought too. But I got a free book, so I went. And it actually was really interesting. One of the really interesting parts, of it, probably the most interesting, was when we took that to today. And we started talking about how do we today, how do we today deal with this, this call that we have to, to live, in a sense, in another world, to be always aware of the spiritual realm, but also to live in the here and now? And how do we find a balance between all of those different factors? And how do we do all of that when, when we're pretty comfortable? It's pretty easy to settle down. And one of the Calvin University professors, I think she usually teaches history, a little bit of theology maybe, but she told the story of how, how she often sees in these students who come in their freshman and sophomore year, and, and the university hits them with all this stuff. There's, there's all these troubles around the world, and all this injustice, and all this wrong, and all of this, 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 and you can fix it. And there's all of this, and all of this, and all of this, and we're called to fix it. And there's all of it, and all of it. In Jeremiah 29, go and seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And somewhere between sophomore and junior year, she says, most of the students tune out. It's too much. There is this deluge of trouble and wrongness, and everybody's always gotten it wrong, and I can't fix it, and I just, and their eyes glaze over, and, and she says, and then what they usually do is they go, and they find a spouse, and they get married, and they get a job in the suburbs, they buy a house, and, and they just get on with regular life, because it's just too much. It's just too much to change the world, and we all, we all know how how resistant systems are to changing and how hard it is to actually do anything worth doing. And, and it's just too much. And I have to tell you, it is too much. And most of the people I know who set out to, to change the world, 
Well, they end up either being changed by the world and assimilating, or they end up giving up and withdrawing from the world and just saying, I'm just going to have my little life and I can control this, and that's that. But the Scriptures call us to more, and the Lord equips us for more. And I want to I work that out from a couple angles. One is, one is from the angle that we need to settle down before we seek the shalom of the city. And part of that settling down, I think, is to put down deep spiritual roots, to find a spiritual community that we are part of that actually helps us week to week when life is tough, to actually have the roots in, in prayer and reading God's word and spiritual disciplines and following him so that when things get tough, so that when things get tough, we can keep going. Because if you go out to the city and you seek its shalom on your own power, you will get eaten up and spit out. We can't do it. But Jesus gives us, well, he gives us a model, but more than that, he gives us his own power so that, so that when we're rooted in him, we can actually do some good in the world. Not many of us change the world, but, but maybe we can make the world a little bit more how God designed it to be. So that's from our end. But then from the other end, we have this concept in Reformed theology called common grace. Special grace, supernatural grace, where God saves us, where he moves us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, but also common grace, or you could almost put it under the category of providence, that God holds up the world. God is always at work restraining evil and promoting good, and so when we go out and, and we try to seek justice, when we go out and we try to provide food for those who are hungry, when we try to provide safe spaces for those whose lives are full of chaos and danger, when we do those things, the Lord is already there ahead of us, and He is working to promote shalom too. So the reality is when the Lord calls us to, to seek shalom, to try to make the world a better place, He's not sending us out without Him. He is at work in us, and He is at work out there too. Where the Lord calls, He equips. Where He leads, He goes with us. So I want to close with an application and an encouragement, an application and an encouragement. And the application I actually got from a, a book I read this summer in preparation for this sermon series called Faith for Exiles. And that book looks at, it's data-driven, it looks at what does it look like for people today to have resilient faith? What does it look like for Christians, especially young people as they grow into adulthood, what does it look like for them to hold on to Jesus to live as exiles, but to remain faithful. And one of, the, one of the applications, one of the principles, one of the practices they call for is this. Don't withdraw, but engage the culture in counter-cultural ways. I'm going to read that again. Don't withdraw, but engage the culture in counter-cultural ways. We are called as Christians to be a counter-culture to be different than those around us, but to do it for the common good. We should, be, we should be out there. We shouldn't be in our own little bubbles. We should be seeking to do good in the world, but we should do it in a way that doesn't look like the world. The world, our culture, every culture in the history of the world, I think, has been really about, really about self-interest. 
And maybe it's self-interest. You as an individual can do all these things for yourself. Or, or maybe it's self-interest in a broader sense. You as, as part of your specific community can benefit your community by doing this and so you can get ahead. The world is inherently competitive. And we as Christians are called to be inherently generous. We are called to engage with people even when it costs us something. And this only works, this only works if we are rooted in Christ, but we are called to continually lay down our lives for the good of those around us. And so I want to ask you to reflect. And this could be some big, grand, life-changing thing. God does send some people to Africa. But it might also be a really simple little thing that's going to take you five minutes this week. But I want to invite you to reflect on how you could engage the culture in a countercultural way. How can you change the dynamics of your workplace to be more a place of generosity and less a place of competition? How can you change the vibe of your classroom, whether you're a teacher or a student, to be less, less competitive and schoolyardish and more, more a harmonious community? How can you, in your family, give more of yourself for the good of others, even if it's, even if it's out of your comfort zone and stretches you? How can you give more to the Lord, whatever that means, time, money, whatever? How can you give more to the Lord for the good of the world? How can you do that this week? And how can you do that in the blink of an eye that all of us have on this, in this life? Don't withdraw, but engage the culture in countercultural ways. And then an encouragement. An encouragement. The Lord is with us. The Lord still speaks to us. I didn't play this up earlier, but I, I want to come back to what's going on here in Jeremiah 29, that this is a letter from the Lord. So the people are in exile. They're in Babylon. They wonder if they're ever going to hear from God again. They feel like maybe he's been knocked flat and there's nothing left. And then the Lord speaks. And the Lord sends this letter, and the Lord gives them very specific, difficult in some ways, but very specific guidance. And the undercurrent there, part of the message that isn't explicitly said is, look, I am still with you. I am Yahweh, the great I am. I am the covenant Lord. The ties that I tied you and me together with, they are still just as powerful as they were a year and a century and a millennia ago. The Lord still speaks. And the Lord is still speaking to us here in our digital Babylon. He speaks through his scripture. He, he speaks through, through the proclaimed word, through sermons. He speaks through the power of his word and spirit. The Lord is still speaking to us, and he gives us, well, real encouragement for us as we try to navigate how to live in a world that seems like it's just blown up. And along with that, the Lord gives us gives us the power, the energy, the hope we need to, to try to put the world back together a little bit. I doubt any of us are going to change the world or, or be famous, except maybe Jim and Ruth. But you know, all of us, all of us have this privilege of being part of God's work, of being part of building up the shalom of the city, of the community, of the world. But that only works if the Lord is with us. So I want to invite you today to, to, because God is with us, because God is with us, and if you aren't sure of that, then, then work on that, not on anything else, but work on, 
work on digging deeper into the Scripture and prayer and the Christian community and being really founded on the power of the Lord. But if you are founded on the power of the Lord, I'd like you to ask how you can live more fully now, how you can put down roots and settle down and really live the life God has given you, and how can you serve others well? How can you be part of bringing well-being, peace, justice, flourishing to those around you? The Lord goes with us, and He calls us to go. Let's pray. Father, as our lives pass, as our lives pass, we tend more and more to realize that we're among the small people. We can hardly keep up. And then there are all the bumps and bruises of this life, and and the world seems so big and so broken. Father, we pray that you would bring us home. And we pray that, for one thing in the sense that when you bring the new heavens and the new earth, that you would bring us there. But, but even more than that, we pray that right now you would help us to find our home in you. Build us into Christ. Help us to live more and more in dependence on you and to live lives that even now have, have the taste and the feel the beginning of the reality of the new heavens and the new earth. And Lord, we ask, yes, that you would send us, but, but we plead that you would go with us, that you would open our eyes to see the needs around us and, and open our hearts so that we are willing to sacrifice, to give, to seek shalom. Lord, by ourselves, we can neither hold on to you nor bring hope to the world but we trust that in you we can do all that you call us to do. So we pray that you go with us as we go. Lord, we ask that this morning you, you would bless the money that we give. Father, we pray that you would bless the work of all the missionaries that we support, especially of Jim and Ruth, but all the missionaries that we support in all of us as you are sent people into this broken world. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your grace in that we can be part of your work. Amen.